Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Friends, welcome to church. How are we doing this morning? Woo! Man, I, uh, you know, I don't know where you stand on this, but I feel like so far it's been a great year for football for Hills Church 49ers. With a big win last night, I didn't think they were going to pull it out, but they did, and man, what, I know, we got a few Packers fans in the room, we got some, I know it's a little more, I know you all love Georgia, that's not the issue, but the Niners, it's a little more house divided, um, so anyways, hey, we are, we are launching into week three of our reset series, and we're looking at the different practices that we can start our year off with that I believe have the capacity to transform and change our lives. Different things that that we can do that I believe will bring transformation to our hearts and lives. And, uh, you know, we are in week three of 21 days of fasting and prayer. And if uh, today is your first day at church for 2022, Guess what? It's not 21 days, it's seven days for you now. So I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but it just got a little easier for you. But hey, we, we believe in setting aside the first part of our year to God, to recentering our lives on God at the beginning of every year. And so today, so fired up to have my wife with me up here. Let's give it up for Lindsay. And um, the way that this happened for us today is... You had no idea that week three of the Reset series was going to be on this idea of wisdom. What does it look like to live in wisdom, and how can that change our lives? And right after Christmas, you spent some time praying, and you said, man, (laughs) I think God has kind of given me a word for the year. Yeah, yeah, he did. And it was really crazy because I came to Jonathan, and I said... You know, I've been spending a couple of days, and as many of us do, we make New Year's resolutions, right? And um, so I've been sitting down just thinking about New Year's resolutions, different things that I wanted God to do in and through my life. And I also try and kind of set aside time to pick a word for the year, some, some word that I just want the Lord to encapsulate my life with and that I want to move towards and I want to grow in for the year. And I was reading through scriptures, and one of the words that I just kept coming to over and over and over over again was this idea of wisdom and godly wisdom. And I just felt like, man, Lord, I want to grow in that this year. I want you to do a deep work in my life, not just for my sake, but for my children's lives, for my friends, for my family, for our church, for our relation, for our community. What would it look like for us to walk in wisdom in this next year? And, you know, it was crazy because when I was looking at the benefits and the advantages to wisdom, I was just thinking, man, this is something that we all want in our lives. Like the advantages and the blessings that the scriptures give us for walking in wisdom and God wisdom especially, um, have benefit for all of our lives. And I'm like, we all want this, right? And so I was looking at Proverbs 3, and I want us to start there today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in Proverbs 3, 13, and I'm just going to read a couple verses, and we're going to see some of the benefits and the advantages to walking in wisdom, in godly wisdom. So Proverbs 3, 13 says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. 
She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. I just want us to take a second and look at some of the benefits that we just read here. It says, long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, paths of peace. There is life, there is blessing, there's security. There's protection that God is saying is ours in Christ Jesus when we walk in godly wisdom. And so I just think that as we talk about this practice, It's the key. Wisdom is the key that unlocks everything else that we want God to do in our lives, in and through our lives. So the man who wrote these words today, I was kind of studying back through the life of Solomon. And I thought there's so many things that we can just gain from understanding Solomon's life and the way that he lived and that we can benefit from today. So we're going to look at the wisest man who ever lived, which the Bible says was King Solomon. Yeah. Um, So good. And, you know, as you were reading through those, and as we've been thinking about this idea of wisdom, and even the life of Solomon, what really struck us as we dove into it was, you know, if I asked you right now, what does it mean to be wise? You know, some of you who know the Bible, you'd say, oh, the, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, right? It begins with obeying and fearing God, and that's true. And some of you may say, you know, wisdom is really about experience. It's about, man, going through failure and trials and coming out the other side and figuring out how to live skillfully or be successful in, in your field of work or in your family or in your relationships. You know, wisdom applies to our finances. It has to do with our IQ and In some ways, all those things are true. Wisdom is the art of living skillfully. It's how to make wise choices in every area of our lives. But as we looked at Solomon's life, what we saw, and this really just stuck out to us so clearly, is wisdom is not just an issue of your head, making good choices in life and making wise decisions. It's an issue of your heart. It's a posture of your heart. And so... The New Testament says it like this, right? It says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, it says, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom of God. So wisdom is a person, first right. and foremost, and it's about how is our heart attuned to this person, Jesus. He is true north. He's the foundation. He's the center point of all wisdom. And is our heart given to him? Do we love Jesus? And so what we learned, and this is kind of the big idea if you're taking notes today, is this. God's wisdom, godly wisdom, is all about the object of our love and the loyalty of our heart. Yeah. It's about the object of our love and the loyalty of our heart. And we see this idea of God's love and our loyalty through Solomon's life. So let's dive into Solomon's story this morning. If you're tracking with us in your Bible, you can turn to 1 Kings 3. That's where we're going to start out. And we're just going to give you a little back history of Solomon. So Solomon was the king of Israel. He was David and Bathsheba's son. So King David and Bathsheba had a son named Solomon, and Solomon was heir to the heir to the king of Israel. And so here we open up the story. He is king of Israel, and he led the nation of Israel into one of the most prosperous times in their history. 
And the scripture opens up in 1 Kings 3, 3, saying this about Solomon. It said, Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father, David. And as a result, God appears to Solomon in a dream. And he says this to Solomon. He says in 1 Kings 3, 5, that night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and God said, what do you want, Solomon? Ask and I will give it to you. Ask and I will give it to you. I just like cannot imagine God appearing to me in a dream and asking me for whatever I want, but anything, anything I want. And we always joke kind of as, as pastors, we're like, you know, when we're talking to people about prayer and fasting, they, we don't just come to God and we don't just, he's not like a genie in a bottle. Like we don't just, you know, go to him and ask him for whatever we want. Like he does want us to ask him for things, but it's more about the condition of our hearts that God's looking at when we're praying. It's more about us aligning ourselves with him. And so, you know, wisdom is what Solomon ends up asking for. And in 1 Kings 3, 7 through 9, he says this. He says, now, O Lord, my God, you have made me king after my father David, but I am like a little child. I do not know how to lead this great nation. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people a nation so great and numerous that they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well. Other translations, he says, give me wisdom so that I can govern your people well. But here I love this because again, like we were saying, this is usually an issue of the heart when they're talking about wisdom in the Bible. It's a condition of our heart. And so here's the next point you can put down as you're taking notes. Godly wisdom begins with humility. Godly wisdom begins with humility. Solomon asked for wisdom because he admitted that to the Lord. He said, you know, in here he said, here I am in the midst of your chosen people, a nation so great and so numerous that they can't be counted. And he says, I am but a little child. So Solomon had wisdom. He knew that he was not up for the task. He, in and of himself, he wasn't sufficient for the task, that the assignment was too big for him and the situation was too complicated for him and he was in over his head. And I just laugh when I read this because I'm like, gosh, this is me almost every single day. You know, as a mother, especially, I am like, God, I am in over my head. I have never raised an 11-year-old and a nine-year-old before in my life. Give me wisdom, God. Give me, give me discernment of the heart. And I love this truth. It says, God will give us assignments that are beyond our ability for this purpose so that we can give God the glory so that God gets the glory because when we cannot do it in and of ourselves and we depend on him, ultimately what people see in our lives is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's it. They see God. No, it's so good. How many of you feel like there have been seasons in your life and this is a moment of transparency and honesty where you've been in over your head? relationally, occupationally. I remember when we first got married and we got pregnant our first year and I'm like, I don't even know how to be married and now I got to keep a child alive, right. a baby alive, right. right? And raise a child and then each new year with your kids, you're like, you're so different than the year before. I don't even know what to do right now. I'm in over my head and then every single situation we've ever been in in ministry feels like the Lord calls us to things that are beyond us so that when we step into it and good things happen, we can say, it was the Lord. Yeah. 
it was God. And this is what Solomon is owning, and this is what he's saying, and I love it. You talked about the genie in the bottle moment. It's like God shows up. He's like, in the dream, Solomon, ask for whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. And then he comes back around a few verses later, and he goes, actually, that was a test, Solomon. <laughs> he goes, if, he goes, this is what he says in verse 10, the Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for wisdom, so God re replied, because you asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice, and you did not ask for long life or wealth or the death of your enemies. <laughs> come on, somebody. Real. I mean, come on. Um, he goes, I'll give you what you asked for. In other words, translation, if you had asked for the wrong thing, I wouldn't have given it to you. Even though I said to you, ask me whatever you want, I'll give it to you. If Solomon had asked wrongly, God wouldn't have given it to him. He was testing his heart. He was yes. testing to see if Solomon would ask for the right things. And he says, because you asked for wisdom and how to govern my people and serve me for the sake of my name, I'll give you all that you didn't ask for. I will give you, he goes on, he goes, I'll give you, in verse 12, what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart, such as no one else has had or will ever have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. Because he knows if you have wisdom and a heart turned towards God, then the riches and the fame won't destroy you. You'll leverage them for the glory of God. Does that make sense? You'll leverage those things for the glory of God. Here's what we learn from Solomon's life. Wisdom can handle the blessings of God without abandoning the mission of God. Wisdom can handle the good things that God gives you without abandoning the purpose of those things in your life. Solomon understood very, very clearly, hey, everything I have is from God. Everything I have is from God. Every good gift is from God. My, my riches, my fame, my influence. And I love how Paul says it in the New Testament because he says it like this. Friends, everything you do, whatever you do, do it for the sake of the glory of God. So here's translation for all of us. All of life is ministry. Did y'all catch that? When you go to work on Monday morning, that's ministry. Leverage it for the Lord. When you use your gifts and your talent and your money, that's ministry. It's to be leveraged for the good of others and for the sake of God, for the glory of God. And so whether you're a, closing, a clothing designer, an actor, an actress, a lawyer, a doctor, a teacher, a first responder, a firefighter, a policeman, it doesn't matter what you do. Will you leverage what God has given you for his glory? That's a huge deal right? So good. That's so good. So true. Do you want to talk a little more about this, this idea of an understanding heart? Because I think that's so big that the Hebrew word for this, we'll dive into this real quick is Got it. we're going to get go. it. This is massive because again, when we talk about wisdom and understanding, often we think about the mind. I want to make wise choices, right? But Solomon says, give me an understanding, a wise heart, to discern right from wrong, to know a heart that's loyal to you. And the, the Hebrew word for heart is labe, and it also is widely used for the feelings, the will, the spirit, and the intellect. It, it represents the center of our being. And so from the center of your being, do you have wisdom? Do you have a heart that is after 
God. Yeah, it's so much more than just head knowledge. It's heart knowledge. Like, do we have discernment about where our hearts are leading us? Do we have discernment about what our hearts love, what our hearts cling to? Do we have discernment over what the center things of our life, the things that are most important to us and the direction that they're pulling us in our lives? And so when we look at Solomon's life, we see that his life at the beginning of his ministry, at the beginning of his kingship, his heart was fully and wholly devoted to God. And that was the condition that God gave him. He said, I'm gonna give you all these other things, but all these things are to point to me, to point, um, God's people are to point to a savior, are to point to Yahweh, God of the universe. And so Solomon wanted wisdom to permeate his being, to fill his heart so that he could follow God and discern God's will for God's people. And this is the stature of our hearts that we as God's people ought to have as well. Yeah, and it's so amazing because not only did he have a, a heart that was given to the Lord, a heart that loved God, he did have just massive amounts of godly practical wisdom. And right. it says so much so in 1 Kings 10, verse 23, you can follow along on the side screens here. It says, so King Solomon became richer and wiser than any other king on the earth. People from every nation came to consult him. He had a very successful consulting business, okay? They came to consult him and to hear the wisdom that God had given him. They're like, this guy, he, he knows the answer to every question, every problem. Year after year, everyone who visited brought him gifts of silver and gold, clothing, weapons, spices, horses, and mules. The estimated net worth of Solomon, they give an overview of his wealth at the end of his life. All the, all the pounds of gold, it says silver was as stone in the streets in Israel during the reign of Solomon. He made the army's gold uh, weapons out of gold and silver. That's how wealthy they were. The estimated fortune... And today's dollars that Solomon amassed during his life was 2.2, count them, trillion. His net worth was 2.2 trillion, okay? I, I Googled it this morning. Jeff Bezos is worth 180 billion. Solomon was worth literally 20 times what Jeff Bezos is worth. I, I don't even know what Apple is. Uh, I think he was worth more than Apple. I may be wrong on that. Bottom line is this. Dude was rich, okay? Absolutely, unfathomably rich. And I, I mean... And rich in knowledge. Rich people. in knowledge ri and, and a heart that was also towards the Lord. I, I thought about, I was trying to look up, you know, who's the most expensive consultant in today's world? Like, how much do they make? Um, one of the guys who came up at the top of the list, maybe you'll think this is funny, maybe not, Alan Greenspan. Let's go Alan Greenspan, somebody. Whether you love him or hate him, Alan Greenspan, 33 years, chairman of the Federal Reserve. Um, he served under Reagan, uh, Bush Sr., Clinton, Bush Jr. He was the corporate director for ABC Networks, General Foods, J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, and Mobile Corporation. He was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, awarded the Commander of the French Legion of Honor. What does that mean, right? And awarded the Title Knight Commander of the British Empire, Alan Greenspan. He's $15,000 an hour. You want one hour with Alan Greenspan? 15K. 15 large. Put it on the table. He'll, he'll give you some wisdom for whatever you're facing, right? Solomon, 
Check this out. Over and over again, it says different kings of the earth would bring 120 talents of gold to Solomon. One talent of gold is 75 pounds of gold. One pound of gold, $18,000. Do the math. To spend time with Solomon costs roughly in today's dollars 162 million bucks. It's a strong consulting business, okay? That's the supernatural wisdom of God on this guy's life. And just a crazy, crazy thing. But there was none like him, none. like has ever been like him. Um, okay, we want to go ahead and make a hard turn really quickly to this next chapter. This yeah. is We're going to open up in chapter 8. And um, Solomon's main life goal was to build the temple for God, was to build a temple for Yahweh so that people could come and worship and sacrifice because God's ark had always been in a tent, had been traveling with the people through the desert. And so when God brought them into the city of Jerusalem, he's like, now build me a temple. And David couldn't do it. So he assigned Solomon the task to build him this temple. So he brings the ark into the temple. And when he does this, the glory cloud falls in the temple and Solomon begins praying. And he begins praying this prayer. And this prayer in chapter eight is just unbelievable. You can go back and read it. We're not gonna go through all of it right now. I'm gonna paraphrase it for you. But he basically prays this prayer for God's people. And he says, God, forgive them when they mess up because they're going to mess up. Forgive them, God, when they fall short of the covenant because they're going to fall short of your covenant. And so he prays seven different prayers for seven specific sins that God's people could end up messing up and ruining communion with God. And he says, God, when these people do this, and when they turn back to you, again, this is a condition of the heart, when they turn back to you and they pray and ask for forgiveness, God, would you forgive them? And it's so crazy because it's like Solomon knew the condition of people's hearts were going to end up strained, become wayward to God's mission, to God's purposes, to God's plan. And so in 1 Kings 8, 43 through 50, we kind of paraphrase this. It says, when your people sin against you, this is Solomon praying, when your people sin against you, for there is no one who do, does not sin, if they turn in their heart and repent when they pray to the Lord and turn toward the house I have built for your name, then hear in heaven and forgive your people. It might make you think of that verse in Romans 3, 23, where it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? It was like Paul and Solomon knew that the human condition was that we're all gonna fall short, we're all gonna mess up, that we're all broken, that we're not able to keep our end of the covenant with God, that God was gonna have to have mercy on them when they repent and they turn back to him. And that is so amazing, the scriptures. It keeps saying again and again and again when they turn back to you. So it's not about perfection, it's about turning. So our next slide says this, it says godly wisdom is not about living a perfect life, but knowing where to turn for forgiveness, mercy, and grace. Godly wisdom is not being perfect, friends. It's about knowing where to turn for forgiveness, mercy, and grace. And that was the temple that Solomon built for the presence of God. Yes, yeah, so important because I'll give you a quick picture of, of Solomon's temple and you can see the entire inside was plated with gold. Um, you can read the descriptions of it. It was a lavish example of the peace and the prosperity of Israel. And it was designed to give fame to the name of God. 
It was designed that all the nations would look to Israel and see Yahweh, right? And here's the crazy thing. All through chapter eight, as Lindsay was saying, Solomon prays. He goes, Lord, if they sin in this way, when they turn towards your temple, when they turn towards the place where your presence dwells, the place where your ark is, where the mercy seat is, forgive them. When they turn in their hearts, when they repent in their hearts, grant them forgiveness. This is wild. This is the first time in the history of Israel where God is making provision, where Solomon is making provision for the forgiveness of sins without human sacrifice, or without, sorry, animal sacrifice. <laughs> Israel did not sacrifice humans, okay? Uh, without animal sacrifice, you didn't have to bring an unblemished lamb or an oxen to find forgiveness. It says, when they find themselves in disobedience, if they turn in their heart and pray towards the temple, just pray and ask for forgiveness, give them mercy. Over and over and over again. And the seven different prayers that he prays actually covers all the different ways that Israel could screw up their covenant with God. So he's like, look, I'm covering all the bases. We're going to screw up in one way or the other. But if we just turn to you and pray, you'll forgive us. And so the temple represented the place where forgiveness could be found simply by asking, and not just for Israel, it says for the foreigner too. It's a picture right. of the gospel. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. And it was so crazy because when we went to um, Israel a couple of years ago, anybody in this room go with us to Israel? I'm not sure. Okay, we got a couple of people in here. I see the hands. Okay, so when we went to Israel a couple years ago, right before the pandemic hit, um, we were on an airplane and we were sitting with a lot of people on the airplane were Orthodox Jews. And at different moments, they would stand up at different times and they would walk to an area of the plane and they would turn their face and you could almost see them like with their, their phones, like trying to figure out what direction was Jerusalem. And they would turn their faces towards Jerusalem and they would pray specific prayers of repentance towards the Holy of Holies, towards the Temple Mount, where they believe the Holy of Holies was. And so it was wild to even see this practice in the modern day with the Orthodox Jews doing the same yeah. thing that we're talking about here in chapter eight. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's amazing because you can see here where the story begins to shift. Right here, we, we see in chapter 11, I want you to read that for us. What happens? We see that if wisdom is a heart turned towards God, if wisdom is about a heart that is leaning into God, foolishness is about a heart turned away from God. Yeah. And a heart turned away from God, it wreaks havoc. Friends, hear me. And I've experienced this. We've experienced this. Yeah. When something else takes the place of God in your life, it wreaks havoc not just in your life, but your family, your work, and future generations. But I, I want you to read what happens to Solomon in chapter 11. So here's what happened. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, it says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women from the nations of which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, for surely they will turn away your heart after other gods. Yet Solomon clung to these women in love, and his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord." So it said that Solomon loved many foreign women and he clung to them in love. When our lives follow the allegiance and love and loyalty of our hearts, it ends up with destruction, friends. 
when our lives turn to other things, when they cling to things that are not God, it ends up for our demise. And so it says our lives are shaped by what we love. This is what we learn from the life of Solomon. And this is why wisdom is so important. We have to be able to take inventory of our hearts. We have to know where our hearts are clinging, what our hearts are clinging to. And if those things, maybe good things that God has given us, but are not God, are replacing God in our lives. It says in the scripture that Solomon married 700 princesses. I mean, that sounds like a headache. I don't know. That's I, a lot. He's married to me, and I can imagine that's a lot too. He's married to one princess. Yes, yeah, one princess. Um, queen, thank you. Um, and 700 princesses. And to Solomon, to Solomon, this might have been wisdom in the world's eyes because these princesses afforded him political gain. They afforded him trade routes, protection, military alliances, more wealth than you can imagine, and created peace for all the surrounding nations. And so Solomon, in his own mind, in his own wisdom, earthly wisdom, thought, this was advantageous for me to marry these women because this brings prosperity to Israel. But he forgot that God already gave him prosperity. God already was with him. God already gave him peace on every side. So godly wisdom leads to paths of peace and security, right? And so this was wisdom according to the world. But that word cling means to cleave, to follow, to join, to pursue. And the command that God gives us in Deuteronomy is says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That same word cling is the same loyalty and unswerving loyalty to God that Solomon was supposed to be clinging to the Lord with, with his heart. And I think it's so interesting that when we cling to the wrong things, eventually what happens, our heart turns in the opposite direction of God. And so as he clung to his wives, it ended up leading to him worshiping false gods and false idols. Yeah. So we see from Solomon's life, our lives follow the allegiance, love, and loyalty of our hearts. That's why God said, love me first. If you give me all your heart, your life will follow after me. But that's why idolatry is such a big deal. And Tim Keller, one of my favorite pastors, writers, he says it like this. He says, an idol is whatever you look at and say, in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I will feel my life has meaning. If I have that, I will feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant, secure, and content. Friends, here's the crazy thing. In ancient Israel, it was really clear where the idols were. They were statues. There were altars. They had specific rituals around them. But the scary thing is, in our culture today, an idol could be anything. Right. Any good gift that God gives us where we find our identity our security, our comfort, our peace, anything in our life that elevates itself above God. Yeah, we just wrote down a few examples. Again, it's not hard to take inventory of our hearts. When we just sit down and we spend some time with the Lord and we say, God, search my heart, know me, you know me. Show me the ways in my life that are not aligned with your word, not aligned with your purposes, not aligned with your mission. And we can look and we can take inventory of our lives. And it's easy sometimes just to look at maybe our calendars, where are we spending most of our time? Where are we spending most of our attention? It's easy to look at our checkbooks. Where are we spending most of our money? Where's our money going to? What are we spending money on? What are we investing in? 
You know, where do we go for our highest level of peace? You know, is it in the stock market when the stock market's going great? Or maybe when it's not going great, are we losing our peace? When the housing market's going great or it's not, where do we look to for our security? Is it a job, a marriage, a relationship? Where do we go for contentment? Where do we go to find contentment? Where do we go um, for, where is our highest loyalty? Is it a political party? Is it an activist movement? And then even this, what if it's taken away from us makes us angry? I remember a mentor saying, Lindsay, what are the things that anger you? Usually there lies an idol, something that you're looking to, to give you purpose, identity, self-worth, or value. So what are we looking to in those ways? Yeah, I, I think about it like this. You know, there's a difference between what we're, interesting, what we're interested in and what we idolize, what we value and what's important to us, and then what becomes supremely important in our life that we build our lives on that we love the most. And wisdom is the ability to take an inventory of your heart because idols have a sneaky way of blinding you to the fact that they have taken the place of God in your life. They have a sneaky way of blinding that reality for us. And here's where I want to bring this home. I want to make this connection as as we come down the home stretch here and why this is so important. Friends, when Solomon turned away from God, When he turned away from God and he began worshiping the the gods of his wives, it says this in in verses 7 to 8, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord. Then Solomon built altars and temples for all his foreign wives, all 700 of them, who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. Now, why was this such a massive deal? Why did God get so upset about this? Why did God tear the kingdom, it says, from Solomon's hands? Why within one generation was Israel divided, defeated, and taken into captivity? Why? Why was this such a big deal? Friends, it goes back to the temple. The whole purpose of Israel was to be a nation set apart, where all the other nations could look to the God, the one true God of the world, to Yahweh and find forgiveness, find healing, find hope, find purpose. Now, if they look to Israel, and it lists some of the altars and temples that he built on Temple Mount or near Temple Mount, says this, he built an altar to Molech. The word Molech means king in the ancient Near East, the God associated with child sacrifice. He built an altar to Ashtoreth, the goddess of war and sexuality, Milcom, the god of the underworld, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites. So now, the nations of the world who are supposed to be looking at Israel and turning to the temple to pray and find forgiveness are now turning that direction and they're confused. Well, do I ask Molech for forgiveness? Do I ask Ashtoreth for prosperity in war? Do I, do I go to Chemosh, the god of the underworld? And so where Israel was meant to be this unique people where the nations of the earth could turn and find God, Solomon, by turning towards idolatry, had now confused the mission. He'd lost sight of the mission. Now God said, look, I cannot let you be a representative of me. You're blocking the world now. Through your idolatry, the world is blocked from finding true forgiveness. So I have to tear the kingdom from your hands. 
I have to disperse you. I don't want the people looking to Molech or Ashtoreth or any of the other gods to find what only I can give them. And friend, this, this is why it's so important for us as we're reading this word and as we were reading this yeah. story over and over and over again as we were preparing for today's talk, we were just struck with this idea or with, with just the truth that when, if we are the examples, if we are God's people, friends, those of us, yeah, the, those of us who are the temple of the Holy Spirit here on earth, we're the representations of Christ. When people look to us, what do they see? Do they see Jesus? Where they can go, they can find forgiveness, they can find mercy, they can find grace, they can find healing, they can find provision. Or do they see the idols of our hearts? Do they see the other things that we're going to, that we're clinging to? And are they confused? And we don't wanna be a people that confuse the world around us. We wanna be a people that are a beacon of light, a city on a hill, Hills Church, a city on a hill where people can look to and they can find salvation. They can find meaning, they can find purpose, they can find hope, they can find healing. They can find their identity as children of God. And so this is why it's so important as we read Solomon's story to read it with eyes, fresh eyes, and ask the Lord, Lord, search me and know me. That is just the prayer that I keep praying all week long. Lord, search me and know me. As we were getting ready for the sermon today, I was like, Lord, search me and know me. Is there anything in me today that is not of you? Because today is about you. This is all about you. Hills Church exists for your, your glory, for your fame, for your name. And when people look to this church, we want them to see Jesus. Amen? Amen. We want them to see Jesus. Do you all see the connection there? So powerful, right? We are called to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. People would literally, in the Old Testament, they would turn and pray and ask for forgiveness. And so at the end of the day, it's not about living a perfect life. We're all gonna struggle with idolatry in one area or another from now until the moment that we're dead. But the question is this, where do you turn? When you hit rock bottom, when you face trials, when you are stuck in sin, when you are you know, wrestling through the struggles of your life in your marriage, in your family, at work, wherever it may be, people wanna see how you're gonna respond. What steals your joy? What steals your peace? What makes you angry? What, what is your greatest loyalty to? Friends, if they see in us a people whose hearts consistently return to the Lord to receive mercy and grace and forgiveness, there's something in that constant turning of your heart that God says, that's godly wisdom. That's what wisdom looks like, returning to God over and over and over again. And so Amen. friends, as we close our time together this morning, we're gonna take communion. And just like we've done through this whole 21 days, we wanna, we wanna open up a time for prayer down front. And we've got prayer walls in the back as well, but this is a moment. Here's the beauty of grace. God says, turn to me in your heart. Turn to me in your heart and find grace and mercy and forgiveness. You don't have to climb the ladder of perfection. You just receive the gift of grace. And that's what the cross, that's what communion represents, the free gift of God's grace. And so, friends, the challenge today, the, the participation step today is simply this. Take some time to pray, to ask God, Lord, what are the idols of my heart? Give me wisdom concerning my heart. What have I put my identity, my security in, my love that I love higher than you in my own life? What are the idols of my heart that you need to 
pry my hands off of so I can find life and blessing and peace. And generationally, my children can experience the goodness of God. So as you're thinking about that, maybe you'll feel moved to go put whatever you're struggling with, whatever idolatry you're facing in your life, maybe you'll offer it in the prayer wall to the Lord and say, Lord, here it is. I want to pray about this, this one this week. And we've been praying every single week for the prayer requests and the things that have been put in the wall. So put it in the wall. Confess it to God. Turn to him in this moment. Find grace. And then if you want prayer, our prayer team is going to be down front. But right now, let's take communion together. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for godly wisdom that leads us back to you time and time again. Let's take communion together. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.